This is the Skirted Roundtable. I'm Linda Merrill from Surroundings. And this is Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8. And Joni Webb with Coat de Texas. And this week at the Skirted Roundtable, we are welcoming Leslie Sinclair, who is from Houston and is a quite brilliant decorative painter and has a new book out called Segreto, Secrets to Finishing Beautiful Interiors. So we are thrilled to have you on, Leslie, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So did I, did I say right decorative painter? How do you guys, how do you refer to yourself? Decorative painter is great. We do plasters too and um, all sorts of cabinet work for finishing murals. So kind of anything painted, furniture. If you stay in one place long enough, I tend to paint everything. If it's a surface, it gets painted. And did and you, if it's you... a surface, it gets painted. Um, I started out in corporate America. I used to run a computer company. And I've always painted my whole life. I mean, when I was little, I loved Barbies, but I built Barbie houses, painted the walls, made furniture, and painted those. So um, I just always liked art and design. And after my third child was born, I decided to leave corporate America and go into something that I really had a passion for. And how did you get your start? Did you go to learn this sort of thing or did you learn on the fly? Did you start, I know in the nineties, a lot of people, myself included, were doing a lot of mural. People were requesting a lot of mural painting and not quite as sophisticated faux finishes as you do now. But, um, there was a lot, in fact, there were, I think Pottery Barn even had a line of glazes way back when. Is that how you started or did you go directly and? No, I kind of, there was one hallway in my house and I just started playing around with different paints um, and glazes and spraying through lace and murals and we kind of joke that it used to be a rather large hallway and now it has so much paint. It's very tight in there. <laughs> but I, you know, kind of did that and just had fun with it and would ask questions at the paint store and just kind of play around and develop procedures on my own. I've never been to a school or a class. I'm from Houston and Leslie's from Houston and I remember when she started, you know, getting started, it was really kind of like friends, wasn't it? Like everyone started just talking about that you had started this little paint company and you know, you were just kinda of like doing it and then it now it's like a huge company. I mean you don't paint anymore and you know, how many do you hire? I mean, how many people do you employ? Currently, I have a staff of 25 artisans and craftsmen. Um, and when I first started, it was myself and two other base coat painters. And I kind of thought this would be a great job where I can, you know, work a little bit more part-time and be at home with my kids. But I think <laughs> I'm kind of obsessive about what all I do. And, you know, now with a staff of 25, I, it's definitely... Not part-time, but it is just so much fun. Now, you said you, know, you didn't go to school to learn the finishes, but you obviously had to understand what they're supposed to look like. I mean, you don't just, out of the blue, pick up a brush and say, Venetian plaster or whatever, or this is how you paint a brick wall. So, you know, how did you have a background in any kind of, like, just other kinds of painting or fine art painting or I've always travel? just kind of painted on my own and seen things and done a lot of research on the internet, but mainly just playing around. You know, I, I get these visions in my head and for me it's part of the creative process and so much fun to kind of work out on walls or canvas what I see. 
So a lot of times I visualize what something's going to look like. I have no idea how to do it or that I've ever seen it before. And then I just kind of work it through and come up with new and different techniques. And so do you normally work with the homeowner? Or do, are you working with builders, uh, designers? What's, your, what's the process usually? I kind of work with all of them. So I work with homeowners individually. I also work with designers, builders, and architects. So, and, and what's your process? Do you do you bring them boards? Do you how do you illustrate visually to them what you want to do? I have a pretty large portfolio, so I bring a portfolio book with me, and then we also used to when I first started. I painted just about every surface in my house. And Joni, I think you've been to my house. Well, her house is in the book, but her house is like a showroom because you can see almost every, not every technique, but, you know, a lot of the techniques are on the wall. So mm -hmm. if you're not sure what it looks like, you, know, you go to Leslie's house and she shows you and you go, oh, yeah, I love that. How long ago was that that you started doing this? You said the 90s? It was probably 16 years ago. And how long was it just you and your two um, uh, surface painters? Probably a, a, a couple of years. It grew pretty fast. And at one time, I had up to 41 employees. And at that time, I said, you know what? This isn't fun anymore because I love meeting with clients. I love doing the design work. I'm very hands-on at all my jobs because that's the fun part, you know, to make sure it's working out, make sure it goes with their fabrics. So for me, 25 is a great number that I can do wonderful projects and still really be hands-on and in control of it. How many projects do you have going at once generally? I have, we are typically at about 10 houses at least every week, and I have about 180 projects going on from the time I met to touch up at all times. That's a lot. That is a lot to manage. That's a lot. I cannot tell you what a big business this is. And like I said, she started out, it was really small, and, and it's just amazing because it's really, they're the best in town. I mean, there's there's maybe one other company that I would say is a competitor, but... No, I, I, I know. Do you see, do you have... Is this something on the East Coast that you see a lot of, a lot of this sort of, this paint sort of um, uh, application? Not, not a lot of, and certainly not this, um, I haven't seen a lot that this is nice, quite frankly. I've seen yeah. some very pretty smaller decorative, you know, to, uh, mimic right. a piece of fabric on a wall with paint, that kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. but it's not as, I don't think it's quite as big out here. There was a lot of the quote faux finishing, which I wanted to talk about later, you know, that was the sponging and all of that stuff yeah. for a long time, uh, which, uh. yeah, luckily has kind of gone away. Yeah. Stuff like that. But I did want to ask Leslie, you, I know a lot of, but I do know, I do know decorative painters and, and there's, there's some, definitely some people doing some interesting work out here you sort of have come up with your own way of doing things. Are all of those, you know, tightly held secrets within your business? And do you train your crew um, in your method and then swear them to secrecy kind of thing? Or, or are you hiring people who are bringing their own background in doing this? Um, most of the people I hire, I train. I've tried it both ways, and I just find that that works better. I do have certain people. My head cabinet guy, you know, he's been with me about 13 years he, he, he's grown up in the business, is my age, and has been doing this for a long time. 
my head muralist, you know, is in his 50s. He's been doing it for a long time. He's been working with me for about 15 years. Um, most people who start with me, I mean, I keep people for a long time, so I don't have a lot of turnover. So it's great because they keep getting better. We keep learning new things. Um, so for me, there's a lot of loyalty between us, and it just it just seems to work that way. And I think one thing that's kept us fresh and different, especially through this economy, is, for example, when I started doing this gypsum plaster, I was the first company that resided in Houston that had ever done that product before. And people had never seen it, and it kind of created a trend in the Houston market, and now it's kind of waving you know, throughout other areas. Why don't so, you tell them what it is, because they may not... The, the old lath and plaster method that kind of went out of style in the 50s because sheetrock came in and it was so much cheaper than having those big walls that were a, a, a wire mesh and then it had a concrete, you know, mm -hmm. a concrete scratch coat, brown coat, and then a finished coat. And then in Europe, I mean, most of the houses are done that way, and they would either then kind of do a lime wash on top of it, or they would put a canvas backing and put wallpaper up. So there was not mixing pigment in the plaster and that type of thing back then. So we came up with a way to bond this finished coat of that product directly over sheetrock. So you get that beautiful, mm. soft, velvety plaster wall at a fraction of the cost of what you did in the conventional way. And instead of painting it or faux it, um, what we do is mix the pigment directly into the product. So it's just very soft, very subtle, very dreamy. And um, I've just fallen in love with it. I mean, Joni, when you were here last, you know, I had different finishes in every room, but my house is pretty much plastered now because I, it just makes me feel prettier. And the older I get, boy, I need that. <laughs> well, y'all, what it is, it's hard to take a picture of, and it's, it's hard to explain it to a client that doesn't know what it is, you know, because it, it's not cheap. It's the most gorgeous thing you can put it just makes your house look done and lush and uh like expensive and i mean it's just gorgeous it's a gorgeous product it's really worth it well and the reason it's so pretty is i really my philosophy i think is different than most finishers i don't feel like you should walk into a room or a home and notice the walls first i think you yeah. should walk into a room and home and feel the whole feeling of the furniture mm -hmm. the fabrics the ambiance right and that's what's always sort of mm, had me not really kind of deterred me from the whole finish thing. I don't like that. I don't like a lot of people around my area do a lot of the Venetian plaster. And I don't know if it's just not well done, but I can't stand walking up a stairwell and just having that in my face and being the thing that you have to. And, the, and so many people, once they have it done, won't put anything on top of it because they're so proud of it. <laughs> it doesn't look good. It, it's not pretty. So I'm not really sure what they're worried about covering up. I think the Venetian plaster is great for a powder bath or for a dining room, but it's a very strong finish. It has a lot of yeah. modeling. If it's done correctly, it is super high sheen. So it's very uh -huh. dramatic and strong. Mm -hmm. um, the gypsum-based plasters are soft, dreamy, velvety. They're almost like porcelain. They They have a lot of depth, but very little movement and... A slight sheen to them, and honestly, Joni, they they price out at half of what Venetians do or less. 
So yeah. it's very rare that you get a product that, to me, is twice as pretty, but a fraction of the cost. Well, it must absolutely uh, absorb light in a way, that, and that's what you guys are both trying to, and that's a hard thing to explain. That sort of absorption of light does something really special to color, that you just, it, it's a physical reaction, so it's hard to explain, or to capture yeah. a photograph. That was a great explanation. We should have had this discussion before I wrote the book. Because <laughs> that was Well, Megan is an artist, so she, you know, Megan does understand light and everything. But, yeah, I don't, I don't, but that's true, Megan. That's exactly what it does. It mm-hmm. it's just gives you this, it's just like gives you an atmosphere. It has a subtle sheen that kind of gently waves in and out. It's not a consistent sheen, but when the light hits it, it reflects off of it because the sheen is a little bit uneven. What's that called? It's a gypsum-based uh, gypsum plaster, which kind of like you hear about Plaster Paris used to be the capital of plaster because uh-huh. they had big gypsum deposits there. So this basically is taken from, from that. Um, so besides doing that, do you do a lot of the cabinetry because that's when Joan I see pictures that Joni will post from from houses in Houston and that sort of thing the cabinets all have a very distinct sort of Houston finish going on yes we do a lot of cabinets a lot of glaze studies and to me again I don't like heavy finishes most of ours are very subtle and what they do is just like most furniture in your room is not spray painted one color um, sometimes when you add those glazes and highlight some of the lines of your cabinetry, they become part of your room as furniture versus a kitchen or a built-in. Are you um, refinishing cabinetry, new cabinetry mostly, or covering up what's there, for lack of a better term, existing thing? We kind of do, we do both a lot, and it's a great, I mean, it's a great, really cost-effective way if you have a kitchen that may not be you know, brand new or the the latest trends, you can put different finish, finishes on it. And for a fraction of the cost of ripping it out, you can really make it look brand new, fresh, current, and mm-hmm. interesting. And painting the cabinetry is just so, I love the look. If it's done correctly, I mean, it's just such a great it's, look. It's just gorgeous. You know, it's just like, you know, it's a very subtle, maybe two colors that are closely next to each other. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, yes. And a lot of times, too, we add very subtle, for example, in a, in a cabinet, a lot of times you have a very small rounded thing in the inset of a raised panel. So you can wash very pale color of a different, little bit off tone and that gives it interest too with outlooking gingerbready because you can barely notice the difference in tone so we actually use a lot of different colors in our cabinets but they're so close just really minute variations of different color tones that they give you that very subtle sophisticated I try to do classic finishes where you're going to like it now and you're still going to like it 10 years from now. She can make any just regular cheap old cabinet look like a million dollars. Since you've been in business, you know, for, for a good time, have you found any people come back and want to re- redo a room you may have already done? Um, very, I mean, now that it's been 16 years, I am starting to redo some things because mainly different colors are coming in yeah. or that kind of stuff. But most of my repeat business is additional, adding rooms, adding cabinets, kind of expanding further into their home versus redoing what we've done. Although I have, you know, which shows my age, done a little kid's room, and now I'm doing their home. 
Oh. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, okay, how did that happen? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Not really. No, it isn't. <laughs> Now, for um, new clients, um, you know, as, as I'm sure you've developed your reputation in Houston, um, you've got people who have not maybe had a lot of uh, professional help with decorating. So, so sort of novice people coming in, but they want, they want what you do. What would you say is the sort of the thing that people tend to want for their first foray into having decorative finishes, custom decorative finishes done? I think probably kitchen cabinetry. Walls in your dining room, walls in your powder bath, something in their master bathroom. Those are usually the first areas, if you're kind of picking and choosing, that we do the most of. When you do those cabinets, are you doing an oil gla- layered oil glaze? We typically you- do use oil glazes for the top coats. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is you know, you have longer working time, and I like that really refined even look versus you know where it's more even our rustic finishes are a little bit more refined and you can just get that you have more working time with oil most of our like our basic cabinet finish is about five steps Mm -hmm. so if you want a very subtle look you can't do it all at once if you want that real rustic kind of messy and that you can do it all at once so we typically do softer colors and build upon them versus mm-hmm. starting heavy to begin with. I am so lucky. I love homes and I love design and I basically get to go on, you know, three to five home tours every day. So my problem is I shop at everybody else's house. Gosh, I like that. Gosh, that's beautiful. You know, <laughs> boy, I want to do that. So it's kind of hard to stop here. Well, yeah, but you're working with some of the best designers in Houston. Yes, I am very, I am very fortunate. I see some beautiful homes, but you know, to me, there is no home that's not beautiful. And being able to be in someone's house and make it feel more personal to them is my favorite part of my job. Tell us about you. You, you have a book out now um, called Segreto: Secrets to Finishes and Beautiful Interiors. So. Tell us about how that came about. Um, I've kind of always wanted to do a book, um, and I always joke every time one of my kids go off and leave me, I do another project. So, um, you know, when Kirby left, I did an art gallery. When um, Sammy left, I wrote a book. So, um, Matthew, I was still working and having two other kids, so it was just kind of the same thing, but... When I first started writing the book, the first edition I wrote was a little bit more specific on how to, and I started thinking, you know, what I really love about my job, and part of it is just being able to see so many homes and so many different ideas. So the format of the book is really educational about finishes, but it's a walkthrough of some beautiful homes Um, And it gives tips on why I picked what product where, but it also talks about what this person wanted from their home, the type of furnishings. I worked really hard on a resource directory, so if you like that chandelier, you like those tables, you can look in the back and find out where they came from. Yeah, the resource directory is great. I mean, it's just so much information. How did you have time to do this? If you saw a picture of me, I'm wearing readers now (laughs) because I stayed up. All night, I mean, for a long time, and just wrote and kind of worked on it. And I just, I think I was just so passionate about it. And I decided to self-publish, which 
I think I'm, I think that was crazy, but I really wanted to have creative control over the photography, the writing, the editing, the way the book looked and that kind of stuff. So for me, it truly was a labor of love. It was, I learned so much. It was so much fun. But that was a huge undertaking, however. Did you work with an, you know, an experienced book editor so that you sort of could refer? Wow. (laughs) I told you I was crazy. And I tried to find people. I really couldn't find anyone who had done this, who would offer help or advice. So like I do most things, I just say, okay, jump off a cliff and you know, whatever happens. But I probably learned a whole lot more that way. Well, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a, it's a huge book, for one thing. Yeah. It is. I mean, that was the advice I heard. Don't make it more than 220 pages. It is 300, which is a lot larger than most design books. But it's well, also the size of it. The size is really nice and coffee table. It's substantial. I like that. Who took all the pictures? There is, and I have a, you know, on 299, it says the photographers I worked with, but about 80% was done from a local Houston photographer, and then it kind of goes down. There's a wonderful photographer in Atlanta who I did some projects with. So were these taken right after, I mean, are these like taken right after, or did you have to go back to the houses? I had to go back to a lot of them, and the first house in the book that says Texas Hill Country, Mm -hmm. you know, revived... That's the first house in Houston that we plastered, and that was almost eight years ago. So I took the photographs right before publication, which was actually in 2011. And it was amazing to me to go back and see that house, which to me is still as classic and beautiful as it was back then. And the interesting thing about that is they had ordered baseboards throughout that, and when they saw the plaster they decided they wanted it to go down to the floor. So there's no molding in the house. I mean, we pretty much did the plaster to the stone, to the wood. And what was great for me to go back and see is I have never been back to that house to touch up, and it still looked amazing. And what paint or faux finish would look that way, especially on the staircases and, you know, cleaning and all that kind of stuff, it still looked great. Well, that's a testimony to the quality because you can kind of anything can almost anything can look good in a picture. You know, you can do a pretty, a lot with photography, but to know that you can go in and do that kind of work and it didn't need to get touched up, which the homeowners can't do themselves says a lot. Well, the, the book is just gorgeous. The houses are incredible. You know, if you like Houston design or Texas design, I mean like this is the book because these houses one after another is just so beautiful. What was interesting to me too, I just got back from round top you know, do at the antique fair doing a book signing. And what was so fun is there were people from all over the country there. And it kind of amazed me how many stores purchased the books that were from all over, from California, from, you know, Arizona, from Arkansas, from Atlanta, from, there was just a lot of interest from everywhere. Because I would ask them, you know, does, does this look like it would fit in your market? And most people said yes. There are elements in it that, you know, we think would fit anywhere. Are you doing your own marketing and, and everything as well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, you're crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, 
Well, without a really crazy, and if I could find someone to help with that, that would that would be great. But it, I yeah, I forgot. Once you get all the books, you have to distribute them. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> Leslie, did you sell a lot at Roundtop? Yeah, we. I did really well at Roundtop, and except for the, it was very hot. I don't know if anyone went, but I think that's the hottest um, it's ever been in Roundtop. Well, hasn't it been hot down there like for ever? It, it, it has, and my poor sister-in-law is from San Francisco, and she came to help me at the book signing. And um, I, she said, and I mean, it was. She goes, "I've never been so hot in my life." And then it stormed one day when we had five hundred books on the ground, um, and then it started oh. hailing. And you know, then it did cool down. And she said, "Man, I've seen Houston seasons, you know, all in four days." Do you have a lot? more signings set up? Or? I, I do. Like if you go to my, my website, which is com under events, you'll see all the book signings. So there's a lot and it keeps growing, which is, which is fun. Mm-hmm. You guys do floors too, right? We do do floors. In fact, we're doing two floors right now. One I'm very excited about. I'm doing a job with Celery Kimball and that has been really fun for me because she uses lots of interesting patterns and a lot more vibrant colors. Mm-hmm. And so we are doing yeah, very different. It's very different. Um, very beautiful. Can't wait to see it finished. In the kitchen, we're doing a floor that she gave us the fabric, which is a really pretty white background with um, kind of these a little bit abstract like flowers and they're not really they're like little buds so they don't really read like flowers it, it's almost like we made all these patterns and she said it's almost like you throw them up in the air and I don't know if you've talked to her or met her she is so fun and so nice but she goes and then just how they fall gracefully on the floor that's kind of going to be your pattern. <laughs> so, it's re- I mean, it's, so it's really cool. And we're doing it real faded blues and creams. And the floor is like hey. a, a whitewashed kind of floor. And then the back of the kitchen, the kitchen's all white marble, the whole wall. So I think it's going to be really fun. And then we're doing another floor uh, for that's a huge um, kind of graphic lattice pattern that's very faded, very large. The house is very contemporary. So it's kind of cool going into the entry and having a pattern. And I'm seeing a lot more patterns on floors, not only with stone and wood, but mm-hmm. also with paint. But they Definitely. seem to be, you know, softer, uh, larger scale, you know, a little more contemporary feeling to them. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful because it really can be distracting. You know, it's like putting a bad carpet down. So yes. I think that in that way, you really do know, have to know what you're doing or really consider it. And if you are considering it, take into account the whole, all of it, you know, the whole room rather than just get so focused on the floor. Because I've seen that done where it's just crazy and so distracting. Well, where it takes over the room. Yeah. What yes. do, you, do you, what do you suggest if a person wants to paint their wood floors because I know with the blog a lot of people talk about that that's a big issue well Megan just did hers but what how did, I've done what mine you, three times yeah <laughs> why did you do it three times because you know no no because I just like to change things <laughs> the first time I did it like me 
Yeah, the first time I did it, a dark brown, it was great, and I had it like that for a while, and I really liked it. Well, the initial idea was that I wanted the floors to be a dark wood, but they were pine, so I, I they were too grainy after we stained them, so I painted them, mm-hmm. and I loved it and kept them like that for a while, and I just wanted a lighter, airier feel, so I went in with... Joni, what's the color that you have on your walls? It's the... I had them do that. Whisper? What's that? Feather gray. gray. Feather gray. Feather gray. That's yeah. what you put on your floors? Uh-huh. Oh, I they're thought you gray. white. No, they're gray. Oh. A lot of people think, no, they're gray. So anyway, I've just gone back and painted them again. And I'm still, like, now I'm sort of thinking, maybe I should go in and do another color. Maybe a little darker. Just are for you fun. Painting just, are you painting them just solid? Just solid. I have a just really, solid. really, really small house. Tiny. Bungalow. So I can't go too crazy on it. I have enough pattern going on as it is in my, my house. It's like mm-hmm. my block exploded in my house. Like there's, <laughs> there's, I mean, seriously. So, um, I really have to keep, keep it really metal on the floors, but, um, I use something called breakthrough, which is so, I mean, you're never going to use this, but this, for me, it was great. You, it dries in about a half an hour. It is so durable. It doesn't, we have two big labs. We live by the beach, so there's sand in our house all the time. It doesn't scratch. It's fantastic. Where did you buy it? I got it through my paint store. I just, they ordered it. I think it might be a Benjamin Moore product. It's called Breakthrough. It's awesome. And they'll tint it to any color. There's a, um, and I don't know the name of it, but we try this. It's an, yours, if it dries so fast, is probably an acrylic as well. Because, yes. And this I got from Sherwin-Williams because I own an art gallery. And where we do furniture in the back, one of the artists said, I'm not, I'm not showing my work where your floors look so bad. <laughs> and oh. I go, okay, you know, <laughs> fine. So, um, you know, the show is in two days. So I had no time to do any prep work. And it was on linoleum. So that was bad. And it was a, it was a product from Sherwin-Williams that was an acrylic new product that they did. Rolled it on. I did do a pattern on top of it. It has not scratched, and we moved furniture in and out. So I did the same product on my wood floors in the entry. And just like you, I've had, I mean, it's amazing because even some of the old oil products would scratch with dogs. Yeah, I can't believe it. And it dried so quickly. That was the best part. I like quick, you know, I went, I did it all on a Friday night. I went from dark brown floors to, and it just made such a huge difference. Did you just have to do one coat? Uh huh. Well, and this is something good if you're not doing a design. I think any of the, the listeners can do that themselves and get a really great look. Yeah. I, I encourage it for sure. You can just, if you get tired of it in a year, you just, and I mean, I'm so bad. I just would move all the furniture to one side of the house and literally, <laughs> this is how, I'm sure this is how you guys work. I would pour a puddle of it on the floor and then take a roller, roll it out. Well, first I I did all the, you know, cut work. I did all the right. detail around the edge. But then I was just like, you know, I'd throw it out and I'd roll it. And it was great. One Friday night, done. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Except for isn't there some sort of a blank spot in the middle under a rug? Okay, well, yeah, there is. <laughs> the rug. If you've got a big, I mean, there is one area. It's probably, I don't know how big. I'm, I'm guessing maybe like one by three feet swath that I can never reach because it's where everything comes together. So underneath the rug in the middle of the room there is a blank there's an area <laughs> <laughs> but I told Grant Gibson this and he started laughing he goes that's so something a decorator would do I was like I, 
I know. In our own house. But not do. in a client. No. But sure. No, in our own house. Right. In our own yeah. house. Yeah. You know. You as long as it looks good around the edges. <laughs> yeah. Right. I had this. I've been in my house about 25 years. And when we first moved in, there was a big hole in the wall. I think it was some electrical thing that they took out. So I must have redone that room, I, I mean, probably eight times. And it wasn't until the last time that I patched that big hole in the wall. I mean, it was the same thing. I just hung a painting over it. It was like, uh-huh. oh, forgot to patch that, you know, forgot to patch that again. I'm dying to paint so my nice. floors, too. But You've been talking about painting your floors for a long time. They look so pretty in your house. I know. I thought you did, Joni. No. When you have yes. to move all your furniture... And it's upstairs and downstairs, and where do you stop, and the stairs, and, you know, I don't well, know, I'm just in denial. I don't know if we may be talking to someone that can help you with some of those questions and answers. And she lives in Houston. Houston. In Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just saying. <laughs> well, Leslie, what do you do? Do you stop at the stairs, or do you go upstairs, or what? Mm. <laughs> I think it just depends. If you have other wood pieces, which you do, you could do that. One way I handled it at my house, because I have the same thing, yeah. is I taped off, if you tape off the border around the room, it, I kind of have a, a wooden, I have, I have paint and then I have like a stripe that's probably a half of an inch that shows the wood. So that kind of creates a very subtle thing where your staircase works. And I did that because I didn't want to go into my living room and dining room when I did the entry hall. So by putting that little bit, teeny tiny stripe of the wood, it makes it all still go together. So you could do that, and then you could leave your stairs the same and not do them. Oh, that's a great idea. That is a good idea. I would have never thought of that. I can send you a picture of mine. It's called, I didn't want to move all, it's kind of like you, Megan, you know, what I'm going to paint in the middle of the night, and I didn't want to move the furniture out of my living room and dining room, so <laughs> I thought, huh, that will make it work. A little free consultation right here on the Skirted Roundtable. Right. That's a really good idea. Well, we're what if someone was on a limited budget, and they want something on their wall, what would you suggest them do it themselves or hire, I mean, or what treatment or, you know? Well, I think you can, if, if you have a smaller room, I think you can do a lot of things yourself. And I always tell people, don't start with the big project, start with a smaller project. And I'm also, I do a lot of consultation just on paint in general. I don't feel like every room in your house has to have a finish on it. I mean, mine is that way, of course, but I, it's just because that's what I do. And I think so many people want to do too many things and it actually detracts from your house. So small things like wrapping colors, you know, um, I'm a big believer of, you know, if there's no crown, wrap the same color on the ceiling. I'm not a big contrasting person where you have a white ceiling and dark walls. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get your look by just your paint colors with your molding walls and ceilings that will look very as if, you know, a, a designer came in without having to do a finish everywhere. And then you pick your finishes in certain areas that really enhance the architecture of your home. But what treatment would you suggest? I mean, what is the easiest treatment for someone that was doing it themselves? 
probably a glazing on your walls. So if you did that, you should start with a latex eggshell. A lot of people make the mistake of trying to do it over flat paint. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a lot of experience, what that does is it absorbs the paint so quickly that it starts looking splotchy. So if you start with an eggshell paint and then you go over it with another color, say pick a color two shades darker because that will just be an easy kind of thing yeah. to start with, then that's great. And once you get it on, if it's too dark or looks too splotchy, then put another wash over it of a shade lighter. And what that does is act as an eraser. So it kind of erases all the big blotchy things you did. But I have, I mean, there's so many people that call me and say, Leslie, you know, we don't think you'd want to do our house. I do a lot of jobs that are $650. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't just do whole homes, big mansions. I mean, I kind of, I enjoy every piece of it. Well, it's so labor intensive. What would, for instance, cost $650 if I could be so frank. I mean, honestly, because it seems like, it, you know, I can't imagine what would be that small of a job. We've done, for example, certain cabinetry, you know, fireplace mantles, um, some graphic designs in nurseries or kids' rooms, you know, a simple ceiling detail in a dining room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you perceive, there seems to be, I think, um, after the 90s, you know, as I said earlier, you know, we we sort of got to the overkill of faux finishing and and the and you know everyone was doing it themselves. So of course, most people don't have the eye to know how what it should look like. I mean, I think a lot of these decorative finishes you have to know where where you're going. If you're mimicking stone, you have to know what the stone looks like or wood or whatever. When you hear the term faux finishing, is that a negative term to your mind, or is it just synonymous with decorative painter? I think it's because, and you've seen 15 years ago, they said faux finishers. They did not say decorative painters. So I think it's the same thing as stewardesses or flight attendants now, because there were some negative connotations, and it's because faux means fake, and some things became too fake. I think there is a place for faux finishes, and I think faux finishes well done will always be classic and timeless. It's just when anything is too heavy-handed, I think in any area of design, it becomes trendy. Mm -hmm. So even like a simple rag rolling, I know that sounds like we still do ragging, but our ragging is so soft and so subtle and so perfect in the corners, it's a way to give you a little bit of depth. doesn't look like plaster, but my ragging moves more into that direction where you don't see a lot of pattern on the wall. It just warms up the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think subtle is the key there. I think subtle, mm -hmm. I think subtle and finishing is the is the key. And you know what else I think is when you use colors that are very very close, you know, together, and there's just not that variation. It used to be you do green and blue, you know, blue and right. Oh my God! But now you would uh, you would just pick out two colors on the same car that are right next to each other and it would give you just such a subtle variation that would read as a depth, you know? Well, that's true because when I uh, refinished my kitchen cabinets, I used two shades of green that were both extremely dark but one was just slightly less dark than the other and it really made such a huge difference mm -hmm. in having well, them and both. And also one thing too, like I think the wallpaper industry and the decorative painting industry kind of you know, run after each other, one making the other better. There are some great new papers with textures 
and decorative painting because of that, you know, there are some great graphic designs for contemporary elements. You know, there's great subtle designs. And the thing about it is you can pick any color, match any fabric, and you don't have to worry about it peeling. And it just always looks like paper. I don't care what they say. Yeah. Or even, I mean, there's certain wallpapers people say, can you copy this? I mean, there's a Houston wallpaper designer, Rusty Arena, who I think is brilliant. And I get people show me, he's very expensive, and people show me his papers all the time. And I say, you know what, if you really want that, you need to buy his paper. <laughs> you know, because there's a reason. There's a, It's so artistic. Um, there are other papers that I feel like paint would interpret what they're trying to do better. Yeah, but I bet you feel funny. I mean, I bet you, you probably know Rusty being from Houston, and you probably wouldn't feel right about copying his design anyway, you know? Well, and he has a lot of layers in it. I mean, there's certain things that there's a reason why that paper is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Is there a copyright issue with that anyway? There's not. It's just like anything. You cannot copy anything exactly but it's very difficult to copy something exactly. Yeah. I mean, you change a color, you change a flower, you change, you know, and then it's not exactly the same thing. So there aren't any issues with, if, if you did do that, you know, or if someone does that where they find a paper that's actually currently being produced and painted it instead of buying the paper, that's not actually a copyright infringement. No. And what we usually do, like people show me fabrics or papers all the time. I use that as an inspiration to come up with different ideas. Yeah. And like Gracie, you know, we do a lot of Gracie-inspired hand-painted rooms. And, you know, they're beautiful. They give you that feeling. They're not identical to Gracie. They're kind of our own creations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I bet you get a lot of that. We do a lot of that. I mean, that's one of those things that even in my career I've seen – that style come come full circle. Well, yeah, I think yeah. it's that younger a younger generation is starting to embrace it. Where I think it's always been around, but you sort of thought of it in older homes. You know what I mean? It just seemed, uh -huh. Yeah, you didn't see it so much in the thirty-year-old houses as you do suddenly. I think there's a resurgence. <laughs> but I think which what is so neat, which I see in painting, well, whatever, is that they're taking these classic designs that have been around, you know, for centuries. But they're adding, like, contemporary lighting to it and or a contemporary table. We're used to, it was all mahogany with, with that type of Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. right. So You're right. Fun, I think a, a fun new direction that design is going in. And whatever design is, you know, the finishes follow or vice versa. So, like the, you know, most often when you see, like, a Gracie wall covering, you also see it paired on the floor with a seagrass. Or I love, Joni and I both, I think Joni and I both love the leopard mixed in with that. I mean, that's so, that's just such a great, fun, interesting combination you'd never see. Right. Right, more past. unexpected. So just with like what you're saying, what you're doing, I feel like finishes are the same. It's just, it's unlimited. And I'm always trying to find that unexpected classic finish, you know, that works. It will be timeless, but it's kind of a new twist. So. All right, Leslie, thank you so much. Well, really? y'all are yeah, so thank sweet you. to do this. Thank you. 
This has been the Skirted Roundtable with Megan Arquette from Beach Bungalow 8, Joni Webb from Cote Texas, and I'm Linda Merrill from Surroundings. And this week we are joined by Leslie Sinclair, a decorative painter from Houston and author of the new book, Segreto, Secrets to Finishing Beautiful Interiors. If you're listening to our podcasts via iTunes, you can go to our website at www.skirtedroundtable.blogspot.com to enter a chance to win this book signed by Leslie herself. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back soon.